Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Amen. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, we praise God for you being able to watch us online and for the seven or eight people here. Amen. Amen. To my, to my studio audience, this has become a studio. Amen. Amen. I am a televangelist. Amen. My dreams are coming true. All right. Um, what, what I want to do just by way of announcement really quick is to acknowledge that uh, obviously, we are in the moment of a global pandemic. It is hitting our city. New York City is the epicenter of that pandemic. First and foremost, we want you to know that if you, are, if you, if you live in New York City and you are struggling in any way financially, uh, we do have a fund that we've started. You go to, uh, sorry, you'd go to bridgechurchnyc.com. Uh, slash be the bridge. That's bridgechurchnyc.com slash be the bridge. We'll put that in the comment section and you'll be able to go there by link or you can type that in and you'll be able to see uh, that uh, all the information there. Also, if you want to give to that, again, for our church, we encourage you to continue giving right now, recurring giving, so that we can be able to serve our neighbors and our friends financially. The other thing is we, we know that people are suffering from isolation and anxiety. So we're praying that during this time that you would um, set your clock to 1210 every day. And at 1210, you would check in on somebody. You'd call them or text them or FaceTime them. What we've said is that every hand you can't shake is a phone call you need to make. And Romans 1210 says, be devoted to one another in love. And so that's where this project 1210 comes from. It comes from the idea of being devoted to one another based upon Romans 1210. And so we pray that you would, again, set your alarm clock 1210 every day, check in on somebody, and if you need to be checked in on, we pray that you would reach out. We do have counseling still happening here at the church. Uh, you can get counseling at counseling at bridgechurchnyc.com. You would send out an email to that email. We'll set up an appointment with you. We live in a unique moment. We are in a unique moment. Um, we, we have, for many of us, we are, we're disrupted. Our lives have been disrupted and we're disoriented. The, I was walking outside before. It is a ghost town everywhere. And even on the slow days, it's not like this. I mean, today is just very unique and it's disorienting. I pray that you've changed your clothes. Last couple of days, I pray you've changed your clothes, right? It's, it's difficult to change your clothes because you are, you're just in this, you know, this never ending day. Is it Monday, Tuesday? It's a day. Right. And so the reason why we are in this moment of, uh, you know, wearing the same stuff and being confused is because we are disoriented. We're disoriented. Our health systems, our economy, our schools, sports, it has left us disoriented. One of the reasons why we feel this is because we love moving by rhythm. Rhythm tells us what to expect next. It tells us that there are certain systems in life, things that we can depend on. Our brains, even in infancy, learn the nature of rhythm and expectation. Uh, when you were young, 
you cried. And when you cried, hopefully someone fed you or they gave you something to drink or they put you to sleep, but they gave you what you needed in that moment. And so because of your crying out, you were able to fulfill that need. The same way you, you know, when you come back to church, you're going to sit in some of the same seats. It's because we like consistency. We like rhythm and we like control. Essentially, what we want to know is I know what it takes to make something happen. I know how to make things work. But something very different happens when a trauma or a crisis happens. When trauma or crisis happens, we become disoriented because we're not necessarily sure what to expect next. And you think to yourself, I can't change it. I can't talk my way out of this. I can't pray my way out of this. You have come into an immovable, an immovable situation. It is when we are in immovable situations, it is in that moment where we feel everything is out of control. Everything is out of control. And when we lack control, when we lack the ability to be in control, there is what psychologists call learned helplessness. Learned helplessness. The definition of learned helplessness is a condition in which a person suffers from a sense of powerlessness arising from a traumatic event or persistent failure to succeed. So if you were a child and you had a math problem and you tried it again and again and again, and so then you went to the teacher and the teacher couldn't help you to understand it at least, and then your parent tried to help you and then you went to after school, over time something triggers inside of you, there's nothing I can do about this. And some of you, it wasn't a math problem, it might have been a parent where they abandoned you emotionally when you needed them the most. Some of you, there were things that happened to you, not just relationally, but maybe even sexually, where there was a traumatic event and it disoriented you to what life would be. Or for some of you, it is this COVID-19, where you now are disoriented and you are not sure of how to move in life, what to expect. And this crisis is causing you to feel out of control. And it is often in that moment when we feel we are out of control, when we start operating in a spirit of helplessness, learned helplessness. The story we're going to look at today in John chapter 5, we're continuing on in our series called Proclaim. It is about Jesus calling us to proclaim who he is. And in this story we're going to look at is often seen as the man that was healed at the pool at Bethesda. And that is true. This is about a, a healing that will happen. But can I tell you, this story is not merely about a man being healed in his body. This story is about a man being healed of helplessness. And some of you tonight, that's what God wants to speak into your life. He wants to heal you from the systems of helplessness that you've created in your life. The natural progression of excuses, of barriers that you've put in your life, in your mind, in your soul. You feel like life is out of control and you feel like there's nothing you can do about it. And God is not just trying to heal your body and heal your mind. He's trying to heal you of helplessness. That's what he wants to heal you from. Because it is at the moment that we realize that God is in control, that we can focus on him. That's what we want to focus on tonight. 
How can we be healed of a helpless spirit? Well, in John chapter five, verse one, let's look here. John five, verse one. It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there's something very important that John, the author, wants you to see. He says, after there was a feast. So we don't know what feast it was. Many believe it was the Feast of Tabernacles where everybody would be in a tent or a booth, basically, and they would be remembering the provision of God. But what he wants you to know is um, there's many feasts that would happen, but at any feast, it was a celebration and Jerusalem would have been bustling with people, maybe upwards to 500,000 people. So what John wants you to know is there's a lot of people there and there's a lot of people Jesus could have been focused on. The most faithful of Israel, Jesus could have walked up to. But once again, Jesus being the evangelist and Jesus being one who focuses on the broken and the hurting, right? Some of you tonight, as you watch this, you think, I haven't been faithful to church. I haven't been in here. I feel bad even watching this. But God, in the midst of all the 500,000, he's going to the broken. He's going to the ones that don't feel comfortable in the temple or would have been outcasts in the temple. Jesus, it says in verses two and three, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda which has five Ruth colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So this is a unique scene. So here you have the temple. And what it's saying is that there's a sheep gate where essentially shepherds would come in, most likely on the northern part of where the temple was. And this gate, they would come in and he says over by there, there was this place called Bethesda where there's a pool and there's these colonnades. Basically, they're like porches. And there amongst that pool, this pool called Bethesda's, the word means house of mercy. This is where they're looking for mercy. And there are people there. It says the invalid, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. They can't go into the temple for the temple can only be for the pure. So these people are outcasts. And what they're doing is they are all gathered together in their brokenness, gathered together in their trauma. They are outcasts that are desperate, desperately seeking healing. Now, Here's what they presumed. If you have the ESV version of the Bible, you won't have this verse in there. But some of you will have this verse. But essentially, the context is found in verse four for some of you. And it talks about how the presumption was that an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. And when he would stir up those waters, the belief is that whoever stepped in first after stirring the water would be healed. Now, what was actually happening, most scientists would believe that what was actually happening was there was a spring that was underneath that pool. And every now and then that spring would bubble up, allowing the, the water to burst up. And that water would be warmer than the water in the pool. Essentially, it would have more minerals in it. So basically, 
every now and then the water would burst out and the belief is that the person that got wet, the person that could get into the pool right after it bubbled up, they would be healed. This was superstition. That's what happens when people are in trauma and crisis. Superstition. The same thing that you're getting from your cousin in your messenger inbox is the same thing. Do not put a vacuum or a blow dryer up your nose in the name of Jesus Christ. Do not do stuff that you heard about. Wait till we find out scientific evidence. Praise God. Amen and amen. Right. So what do we what must we do? We must look at this as desperate people who are trying to find a solution. Desperate people trying to find a solution. And they're waiting. <laughs> they're waiting. They're waiting. They're just waiting. They're waiting for the water. To go. And you've got to understand, look what it says. Look at the context. They're blind they're, and they're lame and they're, they're paralyzed. So when the waters would bubble up, the blind people didn't see it, right? Then the lame people can barely move. So I guess all of a sudden one guy would get wet. And then, I mean, it just must have been just a tragic looking situation because simply stated, these people couldn't help themselves. So they're waiting on superstition waiting on an imaginary angel to come. John 5, 5 says one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years, almost four decades, four decades, four decades waiting, waiting, four decades waiting. And he's close to this pool but he's also close to the temple, but he can't get close or in either. This man is waiting. He's begging. He's most likely a beggar. He's begged for food his whole life. He's waited his whole life. He's been on a mat looking up his whole life, or at least a good portion of his life. One scholar would say that paraplegics frequently don't have bowel and bladder control, so people would have to move him from place to place unless he crawled. Most of his income came from begging or close friends, and when he had a bladder movement or a bowel movement, he, it would be all over him. His hygiene would have been a mess. His hands would have been calloused, torn by the streets because he crawls everywhere. So here is this man who has been helpless. He is homeless. He is begging. Waiting, decades waiting. This man has been formed by his experience and now his identity is in begging and waiting. Begging and waiting. Always waiting. And in John 5, 6, it says, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, now, I want you to think about this. There's a reason why he says that. Jesus says, I know you've been here a long time. And there's something that happens to people when they are sitting in their affirmity a long time. There's a very good chance you've found your identity and your issues. That's why he puts that there. I, I know you've been here a long time. So I have to ask you a question. 
Jesus heals all types of ways, but Jesus asked this guy an astonishing question. Do you want to be healed? Now, if I was one of the disciples, I would have been embarrassed. I'd have been like, Jesus, you know this man want to be healed. He's by the pool. He's been waiting here for it. Come on, don't disrespect him like that, right? But Jesus, knowing what pain can do to people, how we can find our identity in our pain, how we can find our identity in our past, and how we can find our identity in our issues, Jesus asked him a simple question. Do you actually want healing? Do you actually want to change? I know you've experienced deep trauma, but there's a very good chance by this time, with all this time, you might have defined yourself by the trauma. And so Jesus here is asking him, are you ready to move on? There's power. There's power in pain. People will crowd around you in pain. You notice how they were all crowded together? People will come by your side in your pain. And he's asking, are you ready to actually move on from the resentment? Are you ready to move on from the unforgiveness? Are you ready to move on from the bitterness? Are you actually ready to be healed? And I don't believe that Jesus is saying that healing necessarily removes all the pain of the past, but it is no longer defining yourself by the past. Regardless, if you have lost unemployment during this crisis, regardless, if you've got a story that would blow my mind, when you meet Jesus, he is a transformer. And he calls us to follow him and to see a new way of living, to see healing in him. Do you actually want to be healed? Our past often can paralyze us. We can keep the recurring nature of past traumas reeling in our heads, always spouting it. Decades of this lifestyle Decades of this lifestyle caused him to ask, do you want to be healed? I, I think that um, one of the things that the Bible does that I think is so fascinating is oftentimes it'll tell us a story, but it won't tell us a person's name. You ever notice that? Remember the woman with the issue of blood, Luke 8? Remember the Samaritan woman with five husbands, John 4? Do you remember the woman caught in the act of adultery in John chapter 8 or the man born blind in John chapter 9 or the demoniac in Mark 5 or the leper in Mark 1? Do you remember these people? You remember the people's issues, but you don't know their name. And what ends up happening is oftentimes when we find our issues, when we find our identity in our issues, we don't even have our name anymore. We're just plagued by our issues so much. We lose our identity, and that's what happens to them here, and that's what can happen to you. You lose your name because the issue identifies you. You are more than whatever issue that you've overcome, or what issue you're in the midst of. Jesus is greater than any issue. And so here, he says in John 5 and 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, 
I have no one to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. This is fascinating because when Jesus Christ walks up to you and asks you a question, do you want to be healed? The answer is simple. Yes. Yes. I would like that. I would, care. I would, I would definitely want to be healed. Absolutely. And you see the psychology of trauma and what is happening to him. That all he can think about is what's keeping him from healing. So essentially what this man's, his first thing he says is, no one can put me in the pool. And the second thing he says is, people keep getting in front of me. And this is what he has said for years. He's always thinking in his head, somebody's going to get in front of me and somebody's going to, you know, I can't get in the pool. I mean, and this is what has been going on constantly in his mind. He is marked by the issues and he's marked by his past and he's marked by his, the presence of his issues even more than the presence of Jesus. Henry Cloud in his book, uh, Boundaries and Leadership, talks about learned helplessness. He says there are essentially three P's of helplessness. Three P's of learned helplessness. He says the first thing is you must personalize it. The second thing, you, say you think it's pervasive. And the third is you believe it is permanent. The first thing is you personalize it. You know, this happens when I counsel couples. When they think to themselves, there's nothing that I can do about this hopeless situation. There's just nothing I can make happen. And then you say it's pervasive. It's all bad. I mean, there's nothing that we do that's right. There's nothing that can change. And then you say it's permanent. There's never going to be a new day. You have to believe it's personalized, it's pervasive, and it's permanent. And with that, with that sense of learned helplessness, you think it'll never change. Even when this man has Jesus Christ walking up to him, he is under the belief this will never change. I find that in trying to serve the body of Christ, there are so many people that when they've lied on this mat all those years in for some pain, but for others excuses where they've constantly kept themselves, keeping themselves away from a new day and moving on. It is because they have this certainty. They filled in the blank in their minds of what will happen. And they have this never ending hopelessness. And the reality is Jesus is offering a way out and a new day. Do you understand? He can't even see what's being offered to him because all he can see is the past. All he can see is the broken problems of the past. And so Jesus here, he says to him, in verses eight and nine, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. I find that so fascinating. Because Jesus could have easily said, get up and walk. But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, get up 
and take up your bed and walk. And why did he leave in that part about his bed? And some of you may have this version where it says your mat. And I believe that Jesus not only wants to heal him of getting up and walking, but he says, make sure you pick up that thing you've been lying on for four decades. Make sure you carry the thing that has been carrying you. Make sure you pick that up. Because the problem isn't just your body, it's that bed you've been leaning on. It's that thing you've been leaning on this whole time. You and I, we can lean on helplessness and bitterness and shame and unforgiveness and guilt. And what Jesus wants is for not only us to be healed, but for that mat, that bed to be an object lesson for everyone to see the transformative work of Jesus. He's now carrying the thing that carried him. He's showing people, yes, this was the bed I had. But he also picked it up so they don't go back. You see, the man doesn't know how to make money. <laughs> the man hadn't had a trade. The man hasn't had relationships. And there's a very good chance, even though his body is healed, his mind might want to take him back. Pick up the bed so you do not go back to the space of temptation. The, the problem isn't that you're not healed. You, you've been healed, but you've got patterns that bring you back to that pool. He hasn't known anything for four decades, but he's, one thing he's known is that I can have at least some kind of life by this pool. And so you got to pick up that mat. You have to carry it with you because Jesus wants the world to see that that thing that was carrying you, that anger that has carried you, God wants you to carry it so that now you show people, you see, I used to be angry, but now I'm a person of peace. Oh, yes, I, I carry my mat. I used to be out there. Oh, man, I used to be with all types of people. But, but now I carry this and I show I'm faithful. I carry that thing that used to carry me. Jesus wants to use your past as an object lesson for other people to see. He's walking now. And he's walking now. It's often when people get out of prison, they see how the world has changed. He's walking now. He's seeing people he hasn't seen. He's walking now. And he's walking with his bed. And Jesus, he wants people to show others his old bed, but a new walk. That's what he wants for you. This is why we do groups. This is why we do groups. This is why we do, why did we keep groups going so that we put them online? Because we are a space of transformation. And when you go and you check in on your online group and you put the mute button there and then you start talking, when you constantly show people your walk but you don't show them the old bed you had, you make yourself seem like you've always had it together, not realizing you had a mat, you had a bed, you were broken, and it was Jesus that walked up to you and transformed your life. You didn't walk into the space. Jesus healed your life. This is why we do groups. This is why we do life together. Everybody has an old bed but a new walk. That's what Jesus wants. Why does he want us to show this bed? 
Why does he want us to carry this mat? Here's Jesus says to us, what I did for you is bigger than anything that happened to you. No matter what happened in the past, what I did for you, it's bigger, it's greater. And his healing power, it showers us in the midst of our pain and it transforms us by the power of the Holy Spirit. When you have constantly been a space of having people come around you and celebrate your pain, sometimes there are not people who celebrate your transformation, though. He had a community of people that sat with him within his pain. But then he ran into a problem. And in the next verse, the people that you would think would be celebrating his transformation were actually the people that brought him a problem. He says in verse 9 and 10, now that the, that the day was the Sabbath, that day was a Sabbath. So in verse 10, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. Isn't this a mess? You would think that it would be the, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed be like, why did you do that? Oh, man, why you do that for him, Jesus? Why not? You would think the people in pain would be the ones giving him the most problems. It was the religious. And the religious people began to come at him because he had been healed on the Sabbath day. And this is the thing. The main thing was that he was walking with his bed. Walking with his mat. And so that's their issue. And their issue is a different type of sickness. It's a sickness called legalism. And it's why some of you are so happy you're not walking into a space of the church. Because you don't want to walk in here while transforming and people try to keep you down. What's, what actually happens is this. There will always be legalistic and religious people who like it when you're broken. Because there are people who always spiritually measure. They like to feel stronger than you. They like to feel more spiritually inclined than you. They like to feel wiser than you. And the minute you start to walk in your walk, you intimidate them from the place that they've gotten their identity from. You see, because their identity is in spiritual pride. Their identity is in the law. And so because of that, when they see him, they're frustrated. Shouldn't you be down there? Shouldn't you not have a bed? We liked it better when you were on the ground, not healed and transformed. This is why people can't stand church. Because the people you thought would be celebrating your spiritual growth end up hating on you because you're growing and you're changing. They hate it that you talk, oh man, stop talking so much about your sin and growth. I mean, because then it's going to make me talk about it too. Because they get by by talking about verses and not transformation. And so, so they, they, they're, they're intimidated by that bed. And, and that's what we always try to do in our community is, listen, I'm not trying to say celebrate that bed. I'm saying carry that thing. And when the religious people distract you, just tell them about Jesus. That's what he does here. He just tells them about Jesus. He says, listen, I don't know about, 
I don't know about none of that. I just know Jesus changed me. And us, I, I mean, who, who are y'all again? I mean, I've been, I just know I was on this ground for four decades and good God Almighty, now I'm changed. He tells them about Jesus. And religious people, they love. They love it. If you are religious yourself, you need to be healed of the sickness that you have. This story, it is transformative because it tells us how to get control back over our lives. Even when things are out of control. Barbara Brown Taylor said, we do not lose control of our lives. What we lose is the illusion that we were ever in control in the first place. We are disoriented, church. We are disoriented. We are kind of trying to figure out like what to do every day. We are, for some of us, not sure of what is going to happen next in our lives. And we are, to some degree, trying to grapple with what are the next few months going to be like. And so because we are in this crisis moment, what must we do? Psychologists would say the first thing you must do is write down what can you control and what can you not control. We cannot control when we will get a vaccine or when we'll get more ventilators or when we are going to get more money sent to us. Cannot control that. But you can control your routine every day. You can focus on you. You know the Bible wants you to be in control? but it only wants you to be in control of one thing, you. That's why the Bible talks about a spirit of self-control. We were never really in control. We were just in the rhythm of control. We were in rhythms every day. So it seemed like things were happening and things were together, but in reality, we never know when life can change. And so we must figure out what can we control? What can we do? next in our lives. The fact of the matter is, it is easy in this moment to get lost and disoriented. Um, I don't know how many of you know, but there are no sports on right now, praise God. And so I have watched um, bowling and I'm not much of a bowling watcher. Um, but even ballet has become interesting, amen? Um, so no, no shade against ballet dancers. But I was, as I was watching one of them, I noticed that when they spun around, when they kept spinning and spinning, their head kept like almost like a whiplash. They kept going, you know, and doing that. And as I researched this, I was amazed that they call this thing called spotting. And what spotting is, is actually a technique for dancers when they turn and turn and turn. And essentially what they said was, the goal of spotting is to attain a constant orientation of the dancer's head and eyes to extent that is possible. So this, is, this way, the dancer can prevent loss of control and prevent dizziness. And so essentially what they were saying is, 
even when that dancer is spinning faster and faster and faster, what keeps them in control is focusing on one thing. And they keep looking at that one thing. And they keep looking at that one thing. And even while they're spinning, if they can keep looking at that one thing, they won't lose control. And I believe that in this world, yes, I can't tell you in a month the world won't be crazier than it is right now, but I can tell you who to focus on in the midst of the craziness that we would not lose our orientation. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 and two, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before us endured the cross, despising the shame, he seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus focused on the joy that was before him and he says to us, focus on me. And where you focus, where you focus, that is where your true faith is. And as much as I, my wife, we check out the news every day. My faith is not in them. So I'm very careful about where I put my focus. My focus is in Jesus. And as the world keeps spinning and going crazy, I believe God calls us to focus on him, to look to the things that you can control and do something about it. Work on those things that you now have time to do. Do something about it. But do not live in your pain, because when you live in your pain, you walk in a space of learned helplessness, in a space where before you know it, you'll be lying there for decades. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the power of the gospel that transforms our lives, and that changes us. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, that even now, even now, would you meet us just as you walked up to this man? Would you meet us where we are? You're asking us, do we want to be healed? Do we truly want to be transformed and changed? And so, God, we see you. We want you, God. We want your transformation. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask right now, change us. Walk with us through the recovery of change. Be with us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.